0: FM Breakfast Show with your hosts, Lyle and Lawson. Welcome everybody. You're listening on 876, 878, or 88, right across Australia, right across the Faith FM Network. Positively different radio in the morning. And we are giving a special shout out to all those listening in Camperdown, Victoria on 88.0, Warrnambool, Victoria on 88.0, Nanango, Queensland also on 88.0. Lawson,
1: what kind of a weekend did you have? I had a fantastic weekend, Law. It was not as good as mine. Oh, really? Is that what you think? No. Really? Absolutely. Why? What did you do? Oh, I was at the bush. Oh, I was at the beach. Ooh. Yeah, I was, okay. I was that's at tough the beach call. eating food, playing right, let us, volleyball. Let us, let for us a know swim. what your thoughts are. Who had
0: the better weekend, the person at the beach or the person in the bush? Which would you rather, the bush or the beach?
1: What did you do at the bu- in the bush?
0: Oh, all kinds of stuff. We Just bush activities, and, yeah, bush bush activities all weekend long. That sounds awesome. We went we went down
1: gold mines. Oh, that's that's like,
0: actually intense. Yeah, it was very intense. Uh-huh. I'm not even sure if Did to you go find there. gold? No. <laughs> Bummer. But we explored some. I mean, these are like from the 1800s. Yeah, wow. And it's like the door was open. Mm. And so we went in, mm-hmm. as you do, mm-hmm. and explored all around. It was really, really interesting. <laughs> That's awesome.
1: I took some epic dives for the volleyball. And uh, before that, on, on Sunday morning, I gave some blood. So on Sunday morning, I gave blood. And then Sunday afternoon, I went and played volleyball. I don't know whether that was the smartest decision. I could still play, but you know, I was a little bit like, oh, be, a, be kind of woozy. <laughs> but you know, it was a good time. It was, it was fantastic, ah, and good, I'm good living time. to tell the tale. You're listening to the Breakfast Joe podcast on Faith FM. Positively different.
0: It is the breakfast show here on Faith FM. We're about to get into more serious. No, we're going to get into more positively different news. Before we do, we have a question for our quiz and we have a new prize to give away and it's going to be absolutely amazing. Lawson's going to bring it to you.
1: Okay. Another question for the quiz. In Luke's account, Jesus wrote into Jerusalem. When Jesus wrote into Jerusalem, what did people place on the road before him? Zero four nine one zero six four six six nine is the number to call or text again that question was in luke's account when jesus rode into jerusalem what did people place on the road before him i'm realizing that i don't have our prize with me i i i just don't have it shell do we have our prize for this week Oh, <laughs> okay. So we will have the prize <laughs> we, in the next session. We will definitely have the prize in the next session. We're just in the process of getting it out and, and getting it, you know, approved. We, we, we always go for big prizes here and we just got to make sure we're allowed to give them. But hey, again, that question was in Luke's account, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, what did people place on the road before him? 0491 064
0: Okay. Let's talk about some positively different news.
1: Okay, I did a new story about smartwatches a little bit ago. And I wanted to talk about a specific story in relationship to smartwatches. This is a very, very good news story and was very surprising to me. Essentially, there's this guy. He's from England. His name's David. And he had been given uh, by his wife a brand new Apple Watch for his birthday in April. You know, just as you do. Producer Shell. She's... Listening? Probably. Oh, 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 okay. There's some, some hints going on. A a husband got given a smartwatch by his wife for his birthday, uh, which is, you know, just a classic present. I think, you know, my, my sister and her husband did the same for each other when it was one of their birthday and then they bought them both bought each other smartwatches for their birthdays. and This is like, kind
0: of like it where you have this discussion like, we would like to have smartwatches. Oh, we have birthdays coming up. Oh, we will buy each other smartwatches. That's
1: right. That's yeah, how it goes. David, he gets his Apple Watch and chucks it on and in the first like day of wearing it, his smartwatch starts going off with alerts that his heart keeps slowing and stopping. Like not only is it beating at like 55 beats per minute, which is relatively low for someone his age, uh, but Actually, at times it would go down to about 30 beats per minute, which is incredibly slow for someone his age. That's like, that's beyond the level of like, there are incredibly fit people who get down to the 40s, but in the 30s, that's like. Okay, so this would be a little bit freaky because every time you look at your watch, it's like, my watch is telling me I'm dead. It's telling me I'm dying, or it would stop for a period, his heart would stop for a period of 10 seconds. And then come back on, you know, most of the time when he was sleeping, because, you know, when you're moving and doing activity, that kind of thing doesn't happen. And at first he thought it was faulty. He's like, babe, like, this watch that you bought me, it's not reading my heart correctly. Like, it's, it keeps telling me my heart stopped or something. This is super weird. And, like, maybe the contact points are broken. Honestly, I would be tempted to think that if I chucked a smartwatch on and it started, yeah, if it started, doing,
0: started it. doing that. I'd be like, nah, this is... This is, this this is, is whack.
1: This is uh, dodgy. But his wife, Sarah, is, like, urging him, like, no, really, you should, you should go to the doctor and get this checked out. And he's I mean, like, you think if your heart's doing that, would you be even be able to move? Would you be able to get out of bed? Yeah. Well, that's right. He he was pretty low on energy, but he just was living with it and assumed, like, you know, I'm old, I'm getting older, I'm middle-aged, I'm I'm in my 50s, like, you know, you slow down. But actually, so he ended up going and getting an ECG scan at the hospital by the doctor, and it turns out that he had a third-degree heart block and he was at risk of sudden cardiac death not even cardiac arrest it was so blocked up like his heart was so blocked up that if there was a cardiac arrest like a heart attack like there was just no feasible way that his heart would start again they were just like yeah like you're just gonna die like if your heart goes into arrest it's that's it that's over now he was incredibly shocked by this. He did a few more scans. At first, when he he did the scan, and then, you know, about a month later, the results get back, and the hospital, like, called him five times in one day, like, saying that it's urgent and he needs to get in as soon as possible. Like, well, at, he missed all the calls, and he's like, hey, what's the deal? What? Who keeps calling me? Because he doesn't have it's the hospital's numbers. Number. Like, who keeps calling me? And then one time, like, he listens to the voicemails, and it's like, sir like david please come into the hospital as soon as you possibly can now luckily he got in had amazing life-saving surgery they fit a pacemaker uh, to his heart and he can live to tell the tale wow ascribing his saved life definitely to his wife because she bought him the smartwatch but also to the smartwatch and i'm i'm like this is a good excuse to go and buy a smartwatch, That's right? That's right. If you need a smartwatch Wait, all of a sudden... I'm, I'm, no. I'm feeling it in my blood. I'm feeling it in my bones. I'm like, maybe I'm like this guy, and I, I'm tired sometimes. Is because my heart doesn't work? Does this, mean, does this, mean, <laughs> does this mean, somebody, mean somebody needs to donate Lawson a new smartwatch? Maybe you no,
0: have God, a... I could, oh, for suddenly I'm feeling... I'm feeling tired too. That's right. You and I. Maybe you out there
1: have a significant other who you need to justify this purchase to. I will personally send you the story and be (laughs) like, babe, if you don't want me to die. We'll stop you the stories for a smartwatch. Yeah, that's right. We need, we need compensation for the story, obviously. Um, But this is an amazing story. I'm, I'm truly, it's amazing when technology does awesome things and seriously helps us. And, I I would be like, if I was Apple manufacturing a smartwatch and I would be bold enough manufacturing that smartwatch to tell people like, your heart keeps regularly stopping. Like, I would feel like if I was manufacturing it on Apple's behalf, I I would be like, oh man, if the heart's regularly stopping, it's probably not because their heart's stopping. It's probably a faulty product or something like, why even put that feature in if it's there's just lots of potential that it's not, that it could go wrong? But I guess they're so confident in that in their product that it's like yep we know we know if you're gonna die uh, your your watch there will you tell go. you. but hey you want you want a garmin or a Samsung or whatever these watches are and you need to convince a parent or a significant other or you know can you link that or smart even watch to yourself
0: I know nothing about smart watches because I don't have one but can you sure. link that smart watch if you have one of those can if you gave some a, a, a device like that to an elderly parent, could mm. you remotely monitor their health?
1: I'm sure there would be ability to because I know there's a lot of like parental locks in those kinds Somebody of things. Knows like a like lot question. of parental that, that's, controls that's, that's, where you can monitor through the phone, and and yeah. I guess you could do the same for the elderly too, in with the smartwatch. It'd be a valuable thing. I think it would be a of tremendous value. If anybody knows, um,
0: our number is 0491064669. Maybe that there's an app for it. Maybe there are people that are doing that
1: right now. Totally. Okay. I want to tell you a story that I was, this is a little bit more product placement. Um, apparently, okay. Domino's in the United States, you know, the, the, the pizza company that we all love and, uh, love and cherish to get, you know, our once a month piece of cardboard from, and by cardboard, I mean, The pizza inside the cardboard box that we have. Anyways, they have just like... They put out a new pizza box. And on the pizza box, they're telling people that the pizza box is recyclable. Because for a long time, apparently in America, they thought that pizza boxes weren't recyclable because of the amount of grease and cheese that is left over inside the pizza box. Were you guys familiar with this? I always recycle my pizza boxes. That's right. Well, because of this myth perpetuated in the United States only 20% of pizza boxes were getting recycled and a, like literally billions of them were ending up in landfill
0: at least they break down and like plastic but yeah, yeah right. not a
1: good not a good outcome the, you know corrugated cardboard boxes like you can recycle those and so they've had to communicate to people hey actually these are recyclable Like, there is no amount of grease or cheese inside the pizza box that's going to gum up the technology that we use, the machines that we use to recycle these pizza boxes. So, that's good to know, I guess. I was reading this and I'm like, do people have a problem with it? Like, it's a cardboard box. Of course it's recyclable. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what? This is a good story about Americans are getting the help they need because you know sometimes they're confused I don't think this is an Australian thing I think Australians Australians are like of course all recycle it, their pizza boxes it's a box. in fact that's like what you look forward to you smash them up and fold them up and chuck them in your recycling bin or you keep them intact and I know a few times like I've we played like pizza box basketball where you open up the recy- the yellow lid recycling bin and you do well it's not basketball it's more like disc golf You know, you throw it like a frisbee and it lands in the box, you know, good times for the family, all all fun and games, but yeah, guys, please recycle pizza boxes and uh, don't be like the Americans. You're listening to The Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. You are listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM and right now it has come time for our second clue for the quiz and also... Our amazing, incredible prize. We've got the green light. The armies of what country were blinded in answer to Elisha's prayer? 0491 is the number to call or text if you know the answer to that one. And our prize for this week, the Days of Daniel board game. This is an epic board game that has been created and it revolves around the Days of Daniel. The amazing, awesome, epic! I so profit. want to play this? Yeah, you know what is interesting about this? We
0: haven't I, been to Queensland to play, have games night with who was it? Won a game last oh, time? I've forgotten their name. I before. don't
1: remember. But they they lived in like Queensland, Queensland, like either Toowoomba or Townsville or something, like the middle of Queensland. It's some yeah, oh, way It's somewhere far away from us. But you're on notice. We're coming to visit. We're coming to com- we're visit coming you. For That's games right. Night, That's Wednesday. right. We're coming. But hey, we've got another board game here: The Days of Daniel. Now. When it comes to board games, and particularly Bible board games, there's they, I think there falls two categories. One that's like an actual game and one that's just trivia that's called a game. <laughs> and I've played a Daniel board game. The whole thing was just trivia and I knew the answer to every question. Because because you know Daniel is upside cause, cause I've done lots of studies in the book of Daniel. But this one is actually a board game. It is, you know, one of the movement kind of board games. You oh, get around. Cool. There's all kinds of things you can do. But it takes no prior Bible knowledge. But you learn things along the way as you play the game. So, zero four nine one. 0491 064 is the number to call or text if you would love to have this board game and again that question was the armies of what country were blinded in answer to elisha's prayers 0491
0: 064 okay so in answer to our question this morning the beach or the bush which would you rather go to seems like you're winning there lawson so over the weekend yeah, lawson went course. to the beach i went to the bush and janelle says the beach felly says i like the beach Braden says, "If the bush was rainforest or mountain streams, I would have said that. I definitely had mountain streams. Uh, but out of the two options given, has to be the beach. So we've got three votes for the beach so far. None for the bush. Of course. But is there is there any bush without mountain streams?
1: No. Is there, I guess
0: I guess I guess the outback we call that the bush. Yeah, the outback yeah. doesn't really have mountain streams, does it?" Does this person say they, the way they money, don't like it?
1: They don't like mountain streams? They only
0: like it if there's mountain streams or rainforest. Sure. So they don't like the outback. mm Everyone, all of our,
1: all of our vast listeners, are highly offended this morning, um, but they <laughs> they like the beach because the beach is the bomb. We get to hang out in the sand, and dude, I took a massive dive yesterday. I was going for the ball. I like fully rolled, and I got so sandy, and it was funny. I got up and dusted myself. You can't do that in the bush; you'll you roll dusted, into you it. Dusted yourself. I, you dusted, you dusted, dusted the sand. Dawson
0: <laughs> dusted himself. Has anybody ever dusted them? Anyway, what, what what do we do with this guy? What are you talking about? You can't no.
1: Dust yourself at the beach. What you, said?
0: Well, you get it, Where Would you get a, a, a dust, a, a, a feather duster, and just dust all the dust
1: off you at the beach after you've been drilled in the? What do you mean? I, I just wiped the sand off. What are you talking about? That's like a that's it's, like it's a not regular dusty. saying. It's it's not okay, dusty. okay, Lyle, <laughs> you're making such a point out of this. <laughs> when did when did you become the it's grammar grit. police?
0: It's grit. Okay. Anyway, Anyways, moving on. Moving on. We should have uh, some more serious story this morning.
1: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, let us know. Well, let us know. Which Lyle, the push draw- the Lyle drawing the line to dust in the, in the sand. That's, okay. wow. I didn't know you felt that way. There you go. <laughs> I'm
0: glad to know. All right, we did say that we were going to talk about a very rare document this morning. Mm. Uh, this dates from the first temple period. It is written on papyri. And for those and from Israel, uh, discovered in Israel. First temple period, that's from about a thousand BC to five eighty six BC. Mm-hmm. And it has three words on it. Actually, it actually has yeah, three words on it. It Epid- says to Ishmael send. Ah. So there's instructions here to send something to Ishmael. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people might think, "Oh, that's pretty cool. This is a letter that is talking about Ishmael, the son of Abraham." Except that that Ishmael lived at least a thousand years earlier than mm-hmm. when this was written. Uh, that Ishmael was born in the sec- early in the second century BC, whereas this is somewhere between 1000 and 586. So basically, it extends from the reign of David and Solomon through to the uh, Babylonian uh, invasion under Nebuchadnezzar. Mm. So that's your second temple period, and that's really all they can date it to, somewhere within that period.
2: Mm.
0: Now they assume that it was preserved somewhere in a cave in the Judean desert because it's papyri mm. and you have to have incredibly dry conditions to preserve papyri, And but they don't actually know the real history of it. The interesting thing about this is that the name Ish- Ishmael is on a paleographic find a bullae which is a clay stamp seal used for sealing royal documents in the administration of the kingdoms of in the kingdom of Judah and there is one that reads to Ishmael son of the king mm. so one of the kings during that period had the name Ishmael mm-hmm. we don't know exactly which one but what's interesting is if you go over and read the story about the invasion of judah by the babylonians you can read it in uh where are we second kings here second kings chapter 25 and there's this interesting statement when you go down to verse 20 the nebuzaradan captain of the guard took these and brought them to the king of babylon at Riblah. so he's taken the jews away into captivity uh, the king of babylon killed them and uh, uh, took them into the land of hamath so judah was carried away out of their land verse 22 And as for the people that remained in the land of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had left, even over them he made Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, the ruler. So there was Mm. some very poor peasants and so forth that got left in the land of Judah. And he's like, okay, this is Gedaliah. He's now your new ruler. He will be a governor. And the Bible goes on. And the Bible talks about how Gedaliah calls all of the people together and says, look, you know, um, swear your allegiance to the king of Babylon and it will be peaceful and I'll be a good governor and we will all serve the Chaldeans together mm. and everything will be fine. But the Bible says in verse 25, it came to pass in the seventh month that Ishmael, the son of Nathaniah, the son of uh, Eli- Elishama of the royal seed, mm interesting, son of the king, came and ten men with him and killed Gedaliah that he died and the Jews and the Chaldees that were with him in Mizpah and all the people, small and great, and the captains of the armies rose and went to Egypt because they were afraid of the Chaldees.
1: Mm. It's
0: a bit of an interesting story taking place here. You've got Ishmael who is a royal descendant, son of the king. Mm. Could it be the same Ishmael? Uh, It it certainly dates from this period. Mm. What's also interesting about this is that this piece of papyri has been in the United States since 1965. Okay, So this, this family of Americans were basically tourists in Israel somewhere in the 1960s. Somebody hosted them, we assume, and gave them a gift. It was given to them as a gift. And so they're like, oh, this is cool, took it back to the United States and hung it on the wall in the hall of the house. Sure. Not realising that this is only one of three pieces of papyri that have survived from the First Temple period. Wow. It's been hanging on their wall this whole time. The Israel Antiquities Authority found out about it, and so the current owner, they're like, hey, come and check out our our scroll department our scroll conservation department in Israel and gave him a free flight out there and gave him a tour and showed him around and he's like this is pretty good you guys have some great technology for preserving this kind of material it's probably safer here than hanging in my hallway yeah.
1: they just acquired by impress and the so they show, so
0: he gave it to them mm-hmm.
1: just like that it'd be very he valuable he gave I, it to them you know he,
0: he, uh, yeah, he got a free trip to Israel but
1: got, oh, the free trip to Israel like this is only one of three like Maybe. you know i think israel some com- compensation I think, the, I think the
0: israelis got the better end of this deal definitely i think they got like the
1: better 100%. end of this like
0: 100% but it's kind of like you know weird you know because it's probably a story of you know some people who were exploring down in the desert found it like this is cool passed it on to somebody oh. as a gift not realizing its value you know all these years later it turns up mm So, yeah, interesting stuff. Uh, Once again, we have references to people who, well, I guess there may have been many Ishmaels at this time. Mm -hmm. But there's a couple of hints here that it might be somebody who is actually mentioned in the Bible.
1: Yeah, particularly when it comes to the fact that it was written on papyrus, which was expensive.
0: It it was very expensive (laughs) in those days. And, yeah, well, we have confirmation of another Ishmael, at Mm. this same period, both from the Bible and from archaeology. Mm. So now we've got a third one. Maybe we're starting to build a bit of a case here.
1: All right. You're listening to The Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. And we are going to have another clue for the quiz. Who accompanied Jesus when he raised Jairus' daughter to life? A. Nobody. B. Nobody. John. C. James and John. Or D. Peter, James and John. Again, that number is 0491-064-669. And that question was, who accompanied Jesus when he raised Jairus's daughter back to life? Uh, A. Nobody. B. John. C. James and John. Or D. Peter, James and John.
0: But Greg, thank you so much for joining us this morning. We want to delve into your story of how you came to God and how you ended up in ministry.
2: Thanks very much for having me.
0: Yeah, no, it's fantastic to have you on the show. Now, Greg, I'm just wondering if we can start with your your family story, where you came from. Did you come from a Christian home? Did you come from a church-going family? What was your background?
2: Yeah, so I actually grew up in a Seventh-day Adventist family and did the, the normal things that an Adventist would do. Went to Pathfinders and all those youth events and the things. Then when I got to my teenage years, we were taken by my parents under false allegations and that really caused me to ask some questions about why God would do that to a good Christian family. So that's when I decided to depart from the Lord and do life my own way.
0: Now that's a pretty wild story. Usually when children are taken from parents, there's some pretty hectic things going on. You were obviously a part of that family and so you can personally testify to the fact that the allegations were false. Having spent time in that system, is this something that happens often that the government misreads what's happening in a family?
2: I mean, it certainly was in our case. I know that there is a lot of cases that do happen, you know, to other people that are true, but ours was simply misled and um, we were put through some things that that were hard on us as kids, yeah.
0: How old were you when this happened?
2: So I was about 11 or 12. My brother was five years younger than me and my sister, five years older.
0: So this was foster care you went into?
2: Yeah, we actually went into like a kinship care they call, so they were relatives, they were um, my auntie and uncle that we went into care with. Were they a Christian family as well or not? No, no, they weren't, unfortunately.
0: So there wouldn't be any really barriers to you in choosing to just sort of go your own way then?
2: No, no, there wasn't at all. I was just pretty much free to do as I willed. When you talk about going your own way,
0: Can you tell us a bit about that journey?
2: Yeah, yeah. So I just went into life and decided that I was going to do life the way that that I thought it went down. And so that meant that everything became about me and not about anyone else. How could I better myself in life? How could I make my life better for me? It's interesting because when you choose that path, the decisions that you make lead you down to the things that are not good for you rather than the things that are good for you.
0: Always happens exactly the same way, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. When you talk about those kind of things, what kind of things did you get into?
2: So I got into the, the BMX scene, which wasn't a bad thing for, for fitness and stuff, no. but that led into another scene, which was drugs and alcohol and a lot of party. And, and then after I had some accidents on my bike and couldn't rely on that for anything, and then I couldn't work because I, I had these accidents. So that led into, well, I still have to feed my addictions. I still have to buy the stuff that I thought was solving all the problems. And so that led me into the criminal scene. Okay, so
0: let's just back up for a second. How big into the BMX scene did you get? Were like competitive or was this this, uh,
2: a hobby thing? Yeah, yeah. No, no. no. So so competitive, I got into the competitive scene, um, rode with some some of the best guys in the world, which was a really good experience. Did a lot of travelling and stuff. Yeah, but it didn't all go to plan as I thought it was going to. (laughs) Yeah,
0: wow. Now, you mentioned you had some accidents, obviously if you're in high-level competition, that's something that kind of goes with the territory, you were injured and unable to compete. So I'm thinking these are above-average kind of accidents and injuries.
2: Yeah, yeah. So the first one that I had was down in Newcastle and I come off my bike not wearing a helmet, so I was a fair way up in the air and came down face-first into the concrete and split my skull actually in half on either side down my eye socket and had a bleed on the brain and took me like, Oh, I don't know. A good twelve months to even learn how to walk again, let alone do anything else. So that was my first one. Yeah, my second accident was. Well, I had nothing to do. I couldn't ride my bike anymore. So we used to go four wheel driving and drinking and that out in the bush. And I was hanging off the back of a four wheel drive and and fell off and smashed my head again. So that was my second brain injury. And then the third one was when I'd recovered from that in two thousand and twelve, and then I decided I was going to just ride just a hobby basis, and yeah, I had another accident and smashed my head again, and that's when I ended up with severe epilepsy and my third brain injury. Okay, so somebody's had
0: that many brain injuries, to come out of that to be as articulate as you are, to be a pastor, to be incredibly successful at what you're doing, that seems like quite the miracle to me.
2: Yeah, it is. Like, the first one alone was a miracle. The doctor said that it was a miracle that I even survived it, and that everything healed without me even having to have surgery. And then uh, the second time when I hit my head, they said, if you hit your head again, you'll just die. It'll be game over. So when I hit my head the third time, that was a miracle again because I obviously didn't die. I survived it. But then they just said, well, you'll never work. You'll never drive. You'll never lead a normal life again. You'll be housebound and pretty much bedridden. And yeah, that all changed when I came to the Lord.
0: Yeah, wow. Okay, so let's talk about that for a moment because you mentioned that you were unable to work and you can kind of see why with injuries like that. It would be pretty depressing for a doctor to say you're basically going to be bedridden for the rest of your life. You've been abusing recreational drugs already. That creates depression in and of itself. Plus these are brain injuries, not like you've had an arm or a leg cut off there'd be a lot going on inside of your head that would be very negative at this particular point, I would imagine.
2: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, and I went down that road too where I went down the mental health road and I spent stints in psych which went for three or four months at a time sometimes and tried to kill myself a number of times unsuccessfully and just because I was in a bad place, I, I didn't want to live.
0: All right, take us on that journey of how that all turned around because you're obviously in a very different place today
2: yeah so through that period, I'd met my ex partner and had a child together and and that didn't work out obviously because I was not a fit partner let alone a fit father and Then once I'd lost, we'd had a little girl and and she walked away with her and then i not only did I have no um life, no physical health no no nothing to do with my daughter that I didn't have. So I got to the the lowest point in my life, you know, that I could ever be and where I just had nothing. And the only thing that I could do was cry out to God, you know, the only person that I knew of in that situation. I burnt all my bridges, you know, and and when I called out to God, God was right there. You know, there was no, I told you so, no, look what you've done, you're in this mess yourself. But God was right there. And I'd met a pastor who took an interest in me, not just my spiritual journey, but in me, you know, and... He'd been through a similar journey that I'd been through, and and when we sat down to do our first Bible study, it was like the Holy Spirit hit me in the face like a brick. I just knew that that God loved me, and I could hear that voice, you know, I, I know all that you've done, and I still care. Going home from that um, Bible study that day, I just knew that God was with me, and then I started taking the journey um, of learning more about Him, learning about His love for me, and really experienced true Christianity more than what it was when I was a kid. It was real this time.
0: Yeah, and often as a kid, our Christianity is based on the faith of our parents, but there comes a point when we make that decision for ourselves. How old were you when you made a decision to follow Jesus?
2: Yes, the first time when I got baptized, I was only like, oh, 14 or or 15. It wasn't a convert, it was just because everyone else was doing it, I think, you know? Sure. And um, when I came back the second time, I'd been out in the world for 15 years, and it was on my 30th birthday that I got um, baptized the second time, and that was. So the the year before that was really when I decided that I was going to follow Jesus with all my heart.
0: Yeah, that's uh, praise God. That's uh, that's awesome. Now take us on that journey because from there, how does somebody who has been told by the doctors they're basically going to spend the rest of their life inbred because you've had three traumatic brain injuries that you should not have survived? How do you go from there to being a church pastor?
2: Yeah, so I um. As I as I continued to go to church and to Bible studies and to to build my relationship with God, I just couldn't get my head out of the Bible, you know. And even at home, and because there was just something special about that book that was really touching my heart. So I put it to prayer, and I started praying, and I said, God, I, I want to serve you with all my heart. I want to tell people about you. I want to tell them what you have done for me. And but I can't do that. I can barely read. I can barely do anything. I can barely leave my home. And I need you to change that situation in my life so I can serve you and. And as I took that prayer, I I used to have to go down to the Prince of Wales regularly on a regular basis to to get my head checked and to make sure everything was okay. And after that prayer, I went down for a visit to have my epilepsy checked and my brain injuries checked and the doctors came out and they looked at me with this funny look on their face, you know, like, and I'm like, what's going on? And they're like, I can't explain it to you, but, but your brain scans are normal, your epilepsy is gone. And we kind of explain this is a miraculous recovery and so now you'll be able to to do all the things a normal person would be able to do.
0: So with epilepsy and that kind of thing, you're not allowed to drive or anything, are you? Because if you have an epileptic fit while you're driving, you kill yourself and everybody else.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's it. So after that, because it was gone, I had to come off some medication that I was on for that and then um, they gave me back my license. I went back to work. And I was only working in the world for not very long, and I decided to put it to the Lord in prayer about my daughter because I wanted to have access to my daughter. And I was praise God, I was granted 100% access, which was another miracle in itself because that just doesn't happen with the male society very much these days. And and then when I got her back, I just can work all together. And I said, God, I want to work for you. I don't know how this is going to work, but. I want to work for you and I had to provide for my daughter to pay the rent, to do all that stuff. And as I prayed about it, God just provided every day there was money coming into my account from unknown sources. I'd go to Bible studies and I'd find um, money in my bag. Even we got down to our last carton of eggs. I remember once and I opened up the carton of eggs and there was a $50 note in the carton of eggs. And just time after time, God provided and and then I decided that I was going to do a rise online but I had no money, I had no computer, I had I had nothing like that, so so I I put it to God in prayer again and, and that year someone that had never given me a Christmas present before in my life brought me a laptop. Someone else that had never bought me a present before bought me a um printer. And then the church came to me and they said if, um, you're willing to do a rise online, we'll pay the, for 12 months internet subscription so that you can do that. So they did, and I took that journey, which led to Bible work, which I did for two or three years. And then I was approached by Adrian at the conference to, um, take on a P3 pathway into ministry.
0: So this would be the, uh, the North New South Wales Conference of, uh, the Adventist Church?
2: Yes, yes, yep. yes.
0: Okay, so here's another interesting question I'll toss out right now. You don't look like the average pastor.
2: So, no, I don't. So,
0: <laughs> can you tell us about that?
2: I've never had it worked to my disadvantage yet. I'm covered in a lot of tattoos and I'm pretty rough looking and I know that, that's okay. It's good to be on radio because I've got a face for it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: hey, it was the it was the ink that I was questioning about because, you know, you've got a lot of ink and, and some of that ink is of images that, you wouldn't typically see on a pastor who has ink.
2: No, no, that's right. And there's a lot that that don't show from my clothes that you wouldn't see on not only a pastor, but even a normal person, you know.
0: <laughs> What's the story behind that?
2: So basically the, the ones that you can see, most of them are skulls. And that was because I was told that if my life kept going the way that it would, I was going to die in two years. I got tattooed on me to death roses, one on each shoulder, and then just got covered in skulls. My whole plan was to be buried in a coffin within the two years in a suit full of tattoos. The people that I hung around with, they were all tattooists, so we used to do it in each other's homes and that, go to the shop when we had money, I suppose, to do the tattoos. And, and yeah, I basically just got covered in that. There's a lot of unfinished stuff, but that's the way it is.
0: Yeah. As you mentioned, there's never been anything that – has been a disadvantage for you and I think one of the things that stands out to me is that it's a testimony to a changed life because when I see your tattoos and I see your job I'm like okay this guy has a past but he has a present yeah yeah and that right there it it creates that that contrast it creates that visual testimony straight away this is the changing power of God's grace. And and, and this is because you don't expect to see a skull tattooed on a pastor. I know pastors out there that have a cross or something on them, but not a skull.
2: No, no, that's right. Especially like you look at my chest, on my chest is a big picture of a goat's head and we all know what a goat represents.
0: Mm, mm.
2: And on the middle of that goat's skull is an upside down cross.
0: Yeah, wow. You know,
2: and that's something that i have to live with. And I sort of look at those sort of things now and I think, oh, man, God has a sense of humor, you know.
0: <laughs> this is the story of a changed life right here. Greg, how long have you been ministry for now?
2: So I just started pastoring at Grafton just this year. So this is my first year in it.
0: But you've done a few years of Bible work and...
2: So I've done three years of Bible working before that, yeah.
0: And how are you enjoying ministry?
2: Oh, I love it, yeah. I couldn't picture myself doing anything more and... It's tough sometimes, but God is there, you know, and just the opportunity every day you get, your job is to tell people about the one person that can change their life, the one person that cares about them the most, the one person that created the world and and wants to know them, and that in itself is just a huge privilege.
0: So we have people that listen to this show who are suffering from Disabilities, from injuries, from things that very drastically changed the course of their life. Before we finish up, what would you say to somebody like that?
2: Yeah, so I would say, don't give up. You know, God knows, and God fully knows you, and He fully loves you. And don't let anyone ever say, you'll never do this and you'll never do that. Because the Bible tells us that with men it is impossible, but with God, everything is possible, you know. And God is always there for you, whether your life changes or not. God is always there. You're fully known and fully loved.
0: Greg, thank you so much for joining us here on The Breakfast Show this morning. That was a very, very powerful message that you just shared. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook
2: or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.